0: This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. Uh, this morning I want to look at an account that we find in the book of Numbers chapter 16. We're going to spend a lot of time there uh, breaking down this chapter and we're going to look into it and, and uh, there's a lot of interesting things that happen in this chapter now, to get us up to speed on where we're at in the story of the Israelites they had just been granted the uh, ability to go into Canaan but the people doubted that was numbers chapter 14 they doubted and they said well we're not quite sure if we should go and conquer this land and so they they gather a chief man from each of the 12 tribes and they send 12 spies into the land of Canaan to spy it out and see whether it's it's as good as God said it was they had not seen it to this point so they go and they spy it out and the ten come back and bring a good report but they say there's giants in the land and we can't conquer it the people there are too strong and there's too many of them and we're too small and we're too weak they doubted god's power and his his commandment to go and conquer the land and dwell there that's the land that god promised him back when he promised this to abraham in genesis chapter 12 Um, and at this point they side with the 10 spies who say we can't do it. Although two spies say we can uh, and we should go and conquer it, they side with the 10. And so they decide they're not going to go into the land of Canaan and conquer that land. And so God imposes upon them a wandering in the wilderness for 40 days, a day, a year for each day that they spied the land of Canaan. Um, And so now they're their judgment is to die wandering in the wilderness. And so this is what happens right before. And we kind of get over here to Numbers chapter 16. And we see this event that takes place with a man named Korah. And this revolves Aaron, or revolves around Aaron as the high priest and this man named Korah, who is, as we'll find here, of the tribe of Levi. We'll, we'll begin, if you have your Bibles, in Numbers chapter 16. And we'll read... And we'll kind of break down these passages as we go. Um, let me... <clears throat> in Numbers chapter 16, and verse 1 through 3, it says, Now Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men. And they rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel 250 princes of the assembly famous in the congregation, men of renown, they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said to them, You take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy in every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore then lift ye your up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. So notice what we have here. Korah, Dathan, Abiram, On, these four men gathered together a company of 250 men of renown, not just anybody's among the people of Israel. They gather the chief people, influencers among the people of Israel, and gather 250 people against Moses and Aaron. And this is the charge they lay to him. You take too much upon yourselves. And what that means is they're saying, you have taken and overstepped your ability and your power. You have taken too much power and authority upon yourselves than you should. You are overstepping with your power, Moses and Aaron. They say, all the congregation are holy. You know, what they're saying is that we are just as good and capable. We are just as holy as you are to lead God's people. You're not better than we are. And they say, the Lord is among all these people. We don't need you to tell us what to do, because God is among us too. And, and they ask that question, why then do you lift yourselves up among us? What gives you the right? Why should you be the leaders? This is how these men are coming at Moses and Aaron. So we go on in verse 4. And when Moses heard it, he fell upon his face, and he spake to Korah and unto all his company, saying, Even tomorrow the Lord will show who are his and who is holy, and we will cause him to come near to him. Even him who he hath chosen he will cause to come near to him. This do. Take you censers, Korah, and all his company, and put fire therein, and put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow, and it shall be that the man whom the Lord doth choose, he shall be holy. Ye take too much upon you, you sons of Levi. And Moses said to Korah, Here I pray you, you sons of Levi, seemeth it but a small thing to you, that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel, to bring you near to himself, and to do the service of the tabernacle of the Lord, and to stand before the congregation to minister unto them? And he hath brought thee near to him, and all thy brethren, the sons of Levi, with thee, and you seek the priesthood also? For which cause both thou and all thy company are gathered together against the Lord? And what is Aaron that you murmur against him? So, Moses here in these verses, he responds to Korah. He falls on his face, and this shows us the reverence that Moses had and the humility he had uh, toward God and the seriousness of the situation. These weren't just a group of men that were coming and complaining about the leadership decisions that were being made, this is a rebellion that Korah and these men are leading against Aaron and Moses, and he falls on his face, and he says, you know what, God, he keeps God as his authority, and he says, you know what, God is the one who is going to decide who are his and who are holy. That's who is going to make this decision, and we'll see who God will accept. And he lays down the challenge. We'll bring incense, we'll bring censers, and we'll stand before God, and we'll see who it is, whose sacrifice it is that God chooses, and who, who, which sacrifice God accepts. And so that's the challenge he lays down to them. And notice he turns those words back around him in the true sense of what's going on. He says, you take too much upon you. You've gone too far, Korah. You're overreaching in this assumption, and this accusation that you're bringing against uh, himself, Moses and Aaron. And he reminds them of something important about their special service that they were made a part of. And he asks this question, is it a small thing to you? Is it, does it mean anything, and is it just meaningless to you that God has separated you? God himself has separated you for himself. And then he says, he's, is it a small thing for you to, that God has brought you near to himself to serve in the tabernacle? They have a special privilege and a special responsibility that none of the other Israelites were given a privilege to partake of because God separated this tribe. And he says, is it a small thing for you to stand before the congregation to serve them? This is a big deal, is what Moses is telling them. The position you're in as the tribe of Levi is a big deal. God separated them in Numbers chapter 1, verse 40-50. through 50. We read, the Levites, after the tribe of their fathers, were not numbered among them. When they numbered all the people to go to war, 20 years old and up, Levi wasn't counted among them. Why? Because he says, Only thou shalt not number the tribe of Levi, neither take the sum of them among the children of Israel. But you shall appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of testimony, and over all the vessels thereof and over all the things that belong to it, they shall, they shall bear the tabernacle and all the vessels thereof. They shall minister unto it and shall encamp round about the tabernacle. This was their duty. This was their privilege, their special honor that God gave them to do to take care of the tabernacle. And, and because of this, they were very special to God. He says in Numbers 3.45, Take the Levites instead of all the firstborn from among the children of Israel, and the cattle of the Levites instead of their cattle, and the Levites shall be mine. I am the Lord. This was a very big deal because they belonged to God in that service. Korah's family, particularly, was a high-ranking family among the tribe of Levites, and they had a special charge to take care of not just the holy things, all the tabernacle, but the most holy things. In Numbers 4, verse 4, it says, This shall be the service of the sons of Kohath. This is the line that Korah comes from. He's a son of Kohath. This is the service of the son of Kohath in the tabernacle of the congregation about the most holy things. So they weren't even just a, a, uh, among the special group of family. They had charge of the most holy things, the ark of the testimony and the things that were therein. And this was their job to take care of this and they were separated unto God, and so Moses reminds them of that. Is it a small thing to you? What a question to Korah. He's reminding him, you're in a position of importance already. Is it a small thing? But you want more. You're in this high special place, and you want the priesthood now. It's not good enough for you, Korah, that you've been put in this position. You want to elevate yourself. Why? Does he want to gain more holiness? Does he think that if he is the priest, And his company of people, because they're good enough, too, to offer sacrifices to God, does he think that's going to affirm him as more holy and and confirm that he is special in God's eyes, even though God told him that they are? It's a special role, but they wanted the priesthood. And I want to note the question that he asks to Korah there. He says, what is Aaron? Moses has used that kind of question before uh, when the people rose up to him in other times in Exodus 16. And Moses and Aaron said to all the children of Israel, At even you shall know that the Lord hath brought you out from the land of Egypt and in the morning Then you shall see the glory of the Lord for he hath heard your murmurings against the Lord. And what are we? That you murmur against us and Moses said this shall be when the Lord will give you in the evening flesh to eat And in the morning bread to the full but that the Lord hears your murmurings which you murmur against him And what are we? Your murmurings are not against us, but against the Lord Moses is asking this question to them again this was in the wilderness when they were complaining about not having food. And they're complaining to Moses, why did you bring us out here to die? Was there not enough graves in Egypt? Did you need more space to bury all these bodies? Is that why you took us out of the land of Egypt? And, and Moses says, who are we? We're nothing. They, Aaron and Moses had simply been chosen by God to lead these people. But they weren't nothing. And that's what Moses' attitude was. You're not complaining against me and Aaron, he says. You're complaining against God. This is what he's trying to bring to Korah's mind and help him understand. Because Moses understood they themselves were just men. And so in this story of Korah, Korah is not rising up and and bringing a rebellion of people against Moses and Aaron. They're bringing a rebellion against God. And so it continues in chapter, uh, if we go back to number 16 and verse 12, the story continues. And Moses sent to call Dathan. So he's dealt with Korah and he's told him what to do. And he now addresses the other men that are involved in this rebellion. And he sends to them, he sends to call Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, which said, we will not come up. Is it a small thing that thou hast brought us up out of the land that flows with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness, except thou make thyself altogether a prince over us? Moreover, thou hast not brought us into a land which floweth with milk and honey or given us the inheritance of fields or vineyards. Wilt thou put the eyes out of these men? We will not come up. And Moses was very wroth and said to the Lord, Respect not their offering. I have not taken one ass from them, neither have I hurt one of them. So Moses here calls these men up and says, Now it's your turn. Voice your complaint. Come and come and say your peace. But they say, No, we're not going up there. And notice this charge against Moses that they levy. Is it a small thing to you, Moses? You took us out of the land of milk and honey. We were already there. It was Egypt. Have they forgotten so quickly that they were slaves in Egypt for 400 years under the oppression of the Egyptians? Beaten, worked, oppressed, kept under the thumb of the Egyptians, and they call that the land of milk and honey. He says, you took us out of that only to bring us out here in the wilderness? You haven't fulfilled your promise to us. You told us when you were leading us out of Egypt that you were going to take us to this great land of milk and honey that God had promised. Well, guess what? You failed, Moses. You didn't fulfill your promise. We're not in Canaan yet. We're out here dying, and we're not even going to be able to go in there. This is all your fault, Moses. Of course, this wasn't Moses' fault. Right before in Numbers 14, they're the ones who did not go into Canaan after God told them to go in there. And he says, and if that's not bad enough, you've made yourself a ruler over us. Notice the next question. He says, what are you going to do, put out our eyes? You know what he's implying there? You want, to, you want to lead us around blindly. You don't want us to know what you're doing and where you're leading us and where you're taking us. You want us to, to put our eyes out so we can follow you around blindly. How horrible. And, of course, Moses is rightfully angry by this. and he's very, he's very upset, very angry with what these men are doing and what these men are charging him with because he knows their rebellion is against God. And so in verse 16, we go on into the challenge now that he had laid down to Korah. Moses said to Korah, Be thou and all thy company before the Lord, thou and they and Aaron tomorrow. So everybody is going to show up tomorrow, and we're going to, we're going to have this out in, in, in as far as the offering of God. And he says, Take every man his censer and put incense in them, and bring ye before the Lord every man his censer, 250 censers, and thou also, and Aaron, each of you his censer. So it's 250 to 1. And he says, they, they took every man his censer and put fire in them, and they laid incense thereon, and stood at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation with Moses and Aaron. And Korah gathered all the congregation against them unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And the glory of the Lord appeared unto all the congregation. And the Lord spake to Moses and Aaron, saying, separate yourselves from among this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. So as he gathers them together for this, this challenge of offering the sacrifice to see who is going to be accepted, we get details that Korah had gone and gathered all the congregation against them. So it didn't, wasn't just the 250 men. They went and gathered more people to their side to be against Aaron and Moses. All of Israel seems to be in favor of Korah's plan now to remove Moses and Aaron from their positions that God had appointed them to. They've caused widespread dissent. And God's wrath is hot against Israel. And he tells Moses, he says, separate yourselves, get out of the way. I'm just going to consume these people right here and right now in an instant. God had been this angry with them before in Exodus 32, after he brought them from the land. Moses goes up to receive the law. When Moses comes down, they had, they had made the golden calf, and they're celebrating, and they're dancing, and they're singing to this golden calf, worshiping it. And God says, get out of the way. I'm gonna, I will destroy them all now. And in Numbers chapter 14, the spies of Canaan, when they don't believe God, he says, I'm just going to wipe all these Israelites out. But time and time again, what we see is just what happens in verse 22 here in this story. Moses and Aaron fall on their faces and say, Oh God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, will one man sin and will thou be wroth with all the congregation? Moses and Aaron, just as in those other instances of Israel's history, they step in between God and the people and they intercede on their behalf. And he pleads for their life even though they hate him and they murmur against him and would have him removed. He still pleads on their behalf. In verse 22, we continue. Now we see God's judgment against this rebellion. Uh, Verse 23, rather. And the Lord spake to Moses, Speak unto the congregation, saying, Get you up from about the tabernacle of Korah and Dathan and Abiram. And Moses rose up and went to Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spake to the congregation, saying, Depart, I pray you, from the tents of these wicked men, and touch nothing of theirs, lest you be consumed with all their sins. So they got up from the tabernacle of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram on every side. And Dathan and Abiram came out and stood in the door of their tents with their wives and their sons and their little children. And Moses said, Hereby you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them of mine own hand. If these men die the common death of all men, or if they be visited after the visitation of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord make a new thing, and the earth open her mouth and swallow them up, with all that appertaineth to them, and they go down quickly into the pit, then you shall understand that these men have provoked the Lord. And it came to pass, as he had made an end of speaking all these words, that the ground clave asunder that was under them, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up, and their houses and all their men that appertained to Korah and all their goods, they and all that appertained to them went down alive into the pit, and the earth closed up upon them, and they perished from among the congregation. And all Israel were round about them; that were round about them fled at the cry of them, for they said, Lest the earth swallow us up also. And there came a fire from the Lord and consumed the 250 men that offered incense." So Moses goes down to Dathan and Abiram now, and he tells the people, get, get away from them. And so I can just imagine this circle of people just kind of widening out, and here's these people in the middle, Dathan and Abiram, and their, their families and their tents. And it says, it says they, the people moved away on all sides. And he tells them, don't touch anything that belongs to them, or you will also be guilty of their sins. And they stand in the door of their tents with their wives, and with their sons, and with their little children. And Moses speaks. He says, if they just die a normal way, I'm not sent from God. But if the earth opens up her mouth and they die in some new way, and as soon as he's done saying that, that's exactly what happens. The ground opens up and they get swallowed into the ground and the earth closes back up. And incredibly uh, so, I mean, and rightfully so, the people flee. They're, They're terrified. Who wouldn't be terrified at seeing something like that? Swift justice brought out by the hand of God. And And you know, after this, these men, that are there are 250 men offering this incense before the tabernacle, and guess what happens to them? A fire comes out and consumes them. This is just like Nadab and Abihu. When we think about Leviticus chapter 10, they were offering strange fire, unauthorized fire to God. And in this instance, it was unauthorized people, they were strangers, offering fire to God. They were non-priests. And so fire comes out and consumes them and, and kills all these 250 men. And so these people, this is the judgment we see against them. In verse 36, the story continues, And the Lord spake to Moses, saying, <clears throat> Speak to Eleazar the son of Aaron, the priest, that he take up the censers out of the burning, and scatter the fire yonder, for it they are hallowed. The censers of these sinners against their own souls, let them make for broad plates a covering for the altar, for they offered them before the Lord. Therefore they are hallowed, and they shall be assigned to the children of Israel. And Eleazar the priest took the brazen censers wherewith they had burnt, that they were burnt, had offered, and they were made broad plates for a covering of the altar, to be a memorial to the children of Israel, that no stranger which is not of the seed of Aaron come near to offer incense before the Lord, that he be not as Korah and his company, as the Lord said to him by the hand of Moses. So he tells the priest to take the censers and make a covering and, and make this a memorial of this rebellion so that people would remember not to rebel in this manner against God. And the people murmur still. They just saw this incredible act of judgment against God, these families being swallowed up by the ground, and these men, 250 men. You know, you think you'd kind of straighten up your act if you saw that and witnessed that for yourself, and you'd be terrified. You would think that of the children of Israel, but that's not what happens in verse 41. The very next day they complain. On the morrow, all the congregation of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, saying, You have killed the people of the Lord. And it came to pass, when the congregation was gathered against Moses and against Aaron, that they looked toward the tabernacle of the congregation, and behold, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord appeared. And Moses and Aaron came before the tabernacle of the congregation. And the Lord spake to Moses, saying, Get you up from among this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell upon their faces. And Moses said to Aaron, Take ye the censers, and put fire therein from off the altar, and put on incense, and go quickly out unto the congregation, and make an atonement for them. For there is wrath gone out from before the Lord. The plague is begun. So this is the very next day. They've seen these things, they've witnessed these things, and they complain still. They were still on Korah's side, but they were not seeing Korah and this rebellious group for what they really were, a sinful rebellion against God. And notice what they say, you killed God's people. They weren't really God's people. If they had been, then he would, they would not have died. They wouldn't have been in this rebellion in the first place. They have the minds of these people twisted against Moses and Aaron still. And so the glory of the Lord appears and says, get out of the way, I'm going to consume them. And a plague starts to sweep through the camp and people start dying. So Moses tells Aaron, hurry up, take the censer and run out into the congregation. The plague has started. You see how much they care about these people still. And Aaron took as Moses commanded and ran into the midst of the congregation. And behold, the plague was begun among the people. And he put on incense and made an atonement for the people. And he stood between the dead and the living. And the plague was stayed. Now they that died in the plague were 14,700 beside them that died about the matter of Korah. And Aaron returned to Moses at the door of the tabernacle, and the plague was stayed. So Moses uh, tells Aaron, and Aaron runs out and stands before the Lord between the dead and the living. And he stops this plague from consuming them. 14,700 people died by the time he was able to get ahead of the plague. That's not even counting those who died in the matter of Korah and that rebellion. So what can we learn when we break down the story and we look at the details that are given to us in this account? There's a lot for us to, to unpack, and there's a whole lot of points we could make about this. But there's just a few that I'd like to make today. I think the first thing that stands out is that we should respect authority. I think that's the obvious standout from this passage or this chapter, is that we ought to respect authority. Now there's an obvious point for us as Christians in the church to respect church leadership, but beyond that obvious point, I think there's a greater, larger point being made about respecting authority in general. I think it's timely for us to think about that. and. Uh, especially in this time of heated political debates and, and the election and all this chaos that happens in our, in our political sphere and in our country, I think it's worth examining this example of Korah in that light, and that is the attitude of rebellion. We need to be very, very careful about how we view authority. We need to first understand that God has ordained the authorities. In Romans chapter 13, verse 1, Paul wrote this to the Christians. He says, Let every soul be subject to the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. From heavenly principalities in the spiritual realm, to earthly governments, to church leadership, to our relationships in marriage, and the relationships of parent and child, and even in our respective employment, in all these ways, the concept of authority is one that comes from God, and one that He issues, and there is no power but that of God. And He is the one who has ordained all these things. And I think we need to keep that in mind when we consider this, this desire or this, uh, this plague of sin that's within us that wants to rebel against authority. There is no power but of God. The powers that be are, are ordained by Him. And if we want to be holy, the Bible instructs us as Christians to respect authorities in general, have an appropriate attitude toward the authorities that are in this world and that we are subject to. We don't get to have a bad attitude about authority. We have to submit ourselves. That's what Peter said to the, to, when he wrote to the Christians. 1 Peter 2, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors, as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. With well-doing, as free, not using your liberty as a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Peter is writing to the Christians and saying, Submit yourselves. We can't, and we can't, as Christians, use the excuse that we are under God's ultimate authority and so we don't have to listen to other people. We don't have to listen to you because, well, we're holy and we're the people of God and we're under His authority. He's among us too. We can't use this excuse, our freedom in God and and our authority that we're under uh, of His ultimate authority to cast off our responsibility to earthly powers that we are subject to. God does not want this from His holy people. He does not want us to have this heart of rebellion and this kind of attitude. And He doesn't want us to submit to to, to these ordinances of man just when it's convenient for us and when it's good for us and when we agree with these things. God never says, only be subject to good authorities that are in your best interest. How do I know that? Well, He says in the very next verses, Honor all men love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the froward. For this is thankworthy, if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. Remember that this was written in the time when Rome was in authority. That's the emperors that he's talking about. Honor them as the king, as supreme. They were horrible men. But Christians didn't get a pass just because these men were horrible, just because Christians are burning in the streets as torches to light the way for their chariot races. They didn't get a pass. And he says we ought to have the type of attitude that honors all men, that loves the brotherhood, that fears God, that honors the king as supreme. and and even governors. And that, think about what they went through. And this was their charge to them. Now I think we can bring these thoughts into our own time and examine our own selves and ask, is, is there any room for improvement on my part in regards to how I think, how I speak, how I feel towards the government, towards law enforcement, towards my employer, towards church leadership, or any other authority that that may be in my life. You know, because some conversations I have with Christians, some say, and they're so bold to say, that we are weak if we comply and willingly give up our quote-unquote unalienable rights. I've even heard Christians say that it's wrong or unbiblical for us to comply with government. But the question I have to ask was, was Jesus weak? Was Jesus wrong? Because that's the example that Peter uses next in this very chapter. He says, comply. It's thankworthy if we, for, for conscience toward God, endure grief, suffering wrongly. And the prime example that he gives, the chief example we have to look to uh, in this situation is Jesus Christ. For even hereunto ye were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, he went on a long public Facebook post rant and reviled those people that were mocking him and were beating him, and those Sanhedrin that made fun of him for not being able to pull himself down from the cross because they didn't understand. When he was reviled, he yelled and he screamed back at them, That's not what it says. When he was reviled, he didn't say anything. He reviled not again. When he suffered, he told him, you just wait, payback's coming. When he suffered, he told him, you know, there's a special place in hell for people like you. When he suffered, he said, I hope you go through this someday. When he suffered... He threatened not. Jesus committed no sin. But you know what he did commit? He committed himself to to God that judges righteously. That's what Jesus did in the face of of this evil that was being done against him. He gave up his rights. He gave up his power. He gave up this opportunity. And he complied with what was happening to him. And that is, he was being killed. And he didn't fight it and he didn't stop it, and he would never violated the commandments of God. Now, obviously, I think it's obvious from passages and scriptures and examples that we have, there comes a time when we have to stand up, and Jesus did that very thing. He was, if they had compelled him to blaspheme God, he would have said no, and he's not going to comply with that kind of ordinance, and neither should we, you know, we can look to examples like Daniel when they said, you can't pray anymore or you're going to be thrown into a lion's pit. Guess what Daniel did? He prayed. So there comes a time where we cannot uh, blaspheme God and we cannot contradict the, the commandments of God in the face of compliance, but we can go as far as we can and have to as Christians if we want to be holy in our attitude and not develop this kind of attitude of rebellion because there are serious consequences in our attitude. One of those is the way we affect the rest of the congregation. Look at what Korah and these men did. They affected the entire congregation of Israel with their rebellious attitude. And if we have that, it's spreading to other people. That's why we get warnings about people who are coming in. They came in as Christians, and they come in sneakily, and look at what they're doing. They're causing this chaos, and they're horrible kinds of people. He says in Jude 1, verse 8 through 11, he says, Likewise, also these filthy dreamers, They defile the flesh, they despise dominion. They hate authority. They speak evil of dignities. These are people that crept into the church and were influencing Christians to be this very way. How we interact with authorities in our lives paints a clear picture of our lives and what what lies in our hearts. If we're rebels, this is evil. God is not happy with that and not pleased with that. It is evil for us to be rebels. And, you know, sometimes it's, we take pride, especially in this country, Well, we're going to stand up and say no to government, we're, we're, and we rebel and we take joy in that. That's not what God wants us to do. Likewise, these filthy dreamers defile the flesh. They despise dominion and speak evil of dignities. Notice the example he gives, very powerful example. Michael the archangel, the head of the angels, when he was contending with the devil, with Satan himself, he did not dare bring against him a, a railing accusation. But you know what he said? The Lord rebuke thee." Michael the Archangel knows better and knows how to purport himself and, and to uh, comport himself in holiness. He knows how to conduct himself in that way. And in that holiness, even when he was disputing with, with the devil, he, he did not bring any kind of railing accusation against the devil. Yet we find it so easy to bring railing accusations against our fellow man when they're in positions of power and they do things we don't like or we get envious or we get jealous or we think we're just as good or we start questioning what gives you the right to do this i'm just as holy as you i'm just as good as you i'm just as smart as you god's with me too there's the same kinds of things that cora and dathan and abiram were thinking and note what the bible teaches us is that when we rebel against human authorities we are not rebelling against human authorities He says, whoever resists the power resists the ordinance of God and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. It's not a good place for us to be. When I go back to that verse we read just now in the second half, he says, these people, they speak evil about things that they don't know that which they know naturally as Bruce, Brees, uh, as Bruce. I'll get it in a second. <laughs> these speak evil of those things which they know not But what they know naturally as brute beasts, in those things they corrupt themselves. Woe to them. God warns people like this. Woe. They have gone in the way of Cain. They ran greedily after the error of Balaam. They perished in the gainsaying of Korah. That's the story we read in number 16. He says that people that act like this, they're going to perish in this gainsaying attitude. And, And so we have to be mindful of that attitude because if we have that, we're rebelling against God. As a parent, I think about this. What if my child decided to treat me with that kind of disdain and that kind of respect? I'll tell you, in in my household, we get upset when that kind of thing happens. And our kids figure out really quick that it wasn't such a good idea to try to to rebel. (laughs) I would be upset. And, And it's inconsistent for me to think my child needs to obey me because I'm the authority in their life. But then to turn around and say, I don't need to obey the government. I don't need to listen to church leaders. That is totally inconsistent. And that's not the kind of life God wants us to live in, and and He wants us to lead. He wants us to be respectful to the authorities because how we interact with earthly authorities is an indicator of how we interact with the true authority, and that is God. Because Jesus is the true high priest, and how are we going to react to him as our king, as our priest, when he issues commandments, when he tells us what to do? Are we going to cast that authority off? We might eventually, if we let that bitterness and that rebellion fester in us, we might someday say, you know what? I don't need to listen to Jesus. He's not even here. Why do I even need this? We might get to that point. And it's scary, and we shouldn't get to that point because Jesus is the true and the supreme authority in Hebrews 8, verse 1 through 2. Now the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heavens, a minister of the sanctuary, and and of the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched and not man. Jesus was set at this position of high priest and king by the authority of God, and there's no way we can rebel against that. And we shouldn't even ever think that we we can because this is what it leads to, this this kind of rebellion. And if we think that we have some way, and, and this... This goes into the aspect and the arena of religious authority because there's a lot of people that think we can just kind of make up our own way and they're not willing to trust in the sacrifice of Christ. We might think there's a better way, but there's only one offering that's going to be accepted before God and that is the blood of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 9, 14-15, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this cause, he's the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death for the redemption of transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. There is no other way for us to be saved or or no other way for us to increase in holiness. There's no other thing that we can do to make our lives better or to cause ourselves to inherit eternal life other than the offering that Jesus made and the instruction that he gives that guides us in this way. And if we have a rebellious attitude towards authority, we're going to develop a sense of rebellion towards these commandments. The other thing that's interesting about that story of Korah is that they were strangers offering this fire to God and that points out something. We have to be family of the high priest in order to offer accepted worship. We can't rebel against God and decide that we can do whatever we want and, and there's a whole lot of, in the religious world going on where people are doing just that, claiming to be part of this family or just as good or capable of offering worship to God when they're not authorized to do so. Uh, we have to be born again into Christ's family, as he says, where living stones build up a spiritual house, the, the family of God, a holy priesthood made to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So... We have to belong to the family of the high priest in order to be offering true worship. And we have to understand that our own ways of worship will not work. Korah tried to usurp God's authority and do it his own way because he had a heart of rebellion, and we cannot have this in ourselves. Jesus will recognize and know who are His and who are holy. It says in Matthew 7:21, Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And I will profess to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. You know what this sounds like? Like a lot of religious people that are very devout in their faith, and that could be us. We could think all day long that we're serving God, but we need to examine our heart and make sure we're not in rebellion and make sure that we are doing the will of the Father and not instead doing our own will. Because ultimately, God will know who are His and who are holy, and we won't be accepted and we'll be consumed not by the fire from the tabernacle, but by the everlasting fire of hellfire. I want to point out something, too, that that Moses pointed out to Korah. He said, you are made special by God. Isn't that good enough? I think sometimes we get this heart of rebellion or this attitude develops within us that we're not good enough or we're trying to be better because we forget the value that we actually have. And we don't need to forget that. You are of great value to God. In 1 Peter 2, verse 9, he says, you are a chosen generation. You, I, the church, the members of Christ, are a royal priesthood. You're a priest, a royal priest. You're part of a holy nation. You are a peculiar people. You're special to God. And you were made to show praises of him that called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. In Jesus, we've been made complete. You are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Is this a small thing? I think sometimes we lose track of that because of the deception of Satan. Because our minds are twisted into seeking to lift ourselves up as the authority with that heart of rebellion. We try to become more than we were already blessed to be. We get persuaded by the doctrines of men or these ideas that are going on in the world, political things or whatever types of things are going on in a, in from, that come from earthly wisdom. We get caught up and we say, Well, we... This isn't enough. The church isn't enough. We need more. This is enough. You are special. Is it a small thing to you that you're a priest in the house of God? Don't seek after your own ways. God told the children of Israel that. And it shall be to you a fringe that you may look on it and remember all the commandments and do them that you seek not after your own heart and your own eyes. And that's what we're doing when we develop a heart of rebellion in ourselves. We're seeking after our own heart and our own eyes, which we used to go whoring. We, knew, we need to remember to do all the commandments and, and, and be holy unto our God. I mean, think about this in light of what Korah and the people were saying. Egypt as the land of milk and honey? No, there were slaves there. That's what they were. It wasn't milk and honey. It was oppression and wickedness. Korah and Aaron a non-ironic people as the priests? No, that's not what God ordained. That's not what God commanded. Moses is a liar now and an overlord. That's not the truth. Moses wasn't lying to them and never stole one thing from them, he said. And then they, they lay that charge. You killed the people of God. Who? Korah and all these rebellious people? That's not what they were. Their minds were so twisted. And we need to be careful not to let rebellion twist us. And rebellion lead us in this path of trying to lift ourselves up. You know what the interesting thing about sin that we don't often think about when we're committing sin is the more we try to gain by committing sin, the less we're becoming. In First Kings 21, it speaks of an evil king named Ahab. It says there was none like Ahab which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel, his wife stirred up. All this evil that Ahab was doing, God looked at it and said, "It's like you're selling yourself." You're selling yourself to wickedness. And so the more we try to increase in value by our own efforts, the more we're actually devaluing ourselves in the thing that matters most, and that is holiness. Finally, I want to point out one thing. It's such a beautiful picture. It's terrifying to to think about this plague that starts sweeping through the people What stands out in this story, even though we might develop a hard rebellion and we fail in many ways in these things, the true high priest, Aaron, he runs out into the middle of this congregation as death sweeps through and he stops the plague with an atoning sacrifice. And that's a picture of Jesus. He came into this world as we were dead in sins and He ran into this situation and He makes the perfect offering to God and He stands between the dead and the living at the right hand of God to make intercession continually for us. Who is He that condemns? It is Christ that died, He rather that is risen, who is even at the right hand of God and makes intercession for us. It's a powerful example of the love that Jesus has, even though we rebel time and time and time again, He still stands between us and God, pleading on our behalf, giving us hope to live and not be caught up in this death plague. Folks, I hope the things I'm saying this morning are not to anger anyone or or to upset anyone, but it's to provoke us in thought, stir us up to really think deeply about ourselves and our attitude. I suffer from this, and I think we all might in, in one degree or another. And it's important and timely for us to look at ourselves and say, do I have a heart of rebellion? Because we don't want to be like Aaron, or like Korah, rather. We don't want to be in that camp of rebelling against God, whether it be to earthly authorities like government or law enforcement or our parents or our families or... Our Uh, our relationships or our employers, and we definitely don't want to be in rebellion against the authority of God. We need to humble ourselves and make sure that we're being the holy people of God, people of the high priest. I encourage you this morning to think about that as as we bring this lesson to a close. If you're here this morning and you know that you're uh, not a Christian, of course, there's only one way to be offering true worship to God, and that is it being a child of the priest, being born again to Christ, being made members of the priesthood, having your sins washed away, your conscience cleansed, and being made acceptable to offer worship to God. But if you're not, if, you, if you've already done that, and you're here this morning, and you are stirred up by this, these ideas and this theme of rebellion, as we note here from the scriptures, if you need prayers of the church, to be a person that can submit to the will of God. If you need help with that in, in any form, we're here as a family of God not to put each other down or hurt each other. We're here to help each other. And, and I think we ought to be okay with opening ourselves up and, and admitting these weaknesses that we might have so that we can get help from, from one another, from the scriptures and importantly from God. Uh, if, if we can be of assistance to you this morning, won't you humble yourself in some way? Come forward as we stand and we sing. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.